You may be seated. We have a few scripture readings today. The first comes from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 19. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring." Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. Our next reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. This is chapter 13, verses 24 through 30 and 36 through 43. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. 
Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom and all causes of sin and evildoers. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was growing up, one of my favorite summertime activities was making crowns and necklaces out of clover and dandelions. My friends and I would pluck these plants from the ground and patiently knot their ends together. We would then tromp around the yard bedecked in our flora finery. At the time, I didn't know that clover and dandelions were considered weeds. For my childhood eyes, they were just the most common plants around. The clover delicate, the dandelion eye-catching. Years later, I would watch as neighbor after neighbor would spray their lawns dutifully in the spring and summer to keep these weeds at bay. And my community was filled with lawns of perfectly cut grass No clover, dandelion, or other stray plant in sight. Today, I get the kind of tea from the grocery store that comes with pithy remarks at the end of string on each bag, and one that I routinely get is this. The difference between a weed and a flower is judgment. The clover-wearing, dandelion-doning child in me appreciates this statement, but is it true? My brief research into the matter of weeds versus flowers suggests that it is indeed a matter of perception. We consider something to be a weed if it is inconvenient, if it grows too fast or too much, if it produces an abundance of seeds, if it grows in wild spaces and in many different habitats. A weed is something that the gardener in all of us, trowel in hand, seems to say, you don't belong here. This isn't the place for you. But the plants that we deem weeds are essential for telling us about the health of the soil. They also act as fertilizer with their deep roots and decomposition abilities that recycle nutrients back into the earth. And weeds often attract beneficial bugs like ground beetles and pollinators. 
growing alongside plants we deem to be desirable, weeds tell a story about what is happening in the earth. And they can help create an ecosystem where our desired plants flourish. Not only do weeds support other plants, they also offer numerous benefits in their own right as certain weeds like nettles and creeping charlie can be used medicinally and to add nutrition to meals. The Reverend Vince Omlin, who's a pastor at Bethany United Church of Christ in Chicago, wrote in a UCC devotional about his experience with weeds. Namely, he was experiencing for the first time the making of dandelion wine. He said, quote, we painstakingly separated the yellow petals from the green bracts until our fingers were stained and our bowl was full. I made a simple syrup, juiced and zested three oranges and a lemon, activated sh some champagne yeast, and threw it all in a jar to ferment. Nine weeks later, I opened it up to bottle it and it smelled disgusting. Sickingly sweet, overwhelmingly floral, almost like hundreds of dandelions. I took a taste and knew that no one would ever drink this wine. But I'd put in so much time. So I went ahead anyway. I set a reminder for six months, and when it came up, I put the smallest bottle in the fridge. That night, I poured each of us a tiny taste. We raised our glasses and prepared for disappointment, but we were surprised. It was good, light and not too sweet, pale yellow, like early summer in a bottle. Something had happened. Something had happened over those months, a miracle. Weeds turned into wine, end quote. I want to now turn to our scripture for today and consider what it offers us on the perspective of weeds. We see here in this scripture that like our current times, weeds in this story are also villainized. They are deemed to be the work of malice, the work of enemies. When Jesus explains the parable to his disciples, he says this, the world is the field, or sorry, the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. I struggle with this scripture particularly what it means to be a child of the kingdom versus a child of the evil one. I think about all of the ways in our contemporary lives that we give up on things before they've even had a chance to grow. We label and then stop looking for the good. We do this with children often, underinvesting in schools and communities, and then creating pipelines to prison, or telling a child that a certain path or a certain dream is not for them. And we do this with ourselves too, uplifting our good traits 
our kindness, our patience, our generosity, and our bad traits, maybe it's anger or greed or jealousy, we do not speak of. Perhaps some of us, perhaps many of us, would sooner separate the weeds from the wheat, like in this scripture, our deep shames from our successes. The binary of good versus evil is so tempting, but it is also limiting. In this scripture today, I am curious about where we see God's presence. What I notice is this line, when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. Where is God present? I imagine God in the rainstorm, rolling across this field of seeds and showering them with rain. God knows what lies underground and decides to nourish all of it anyway, to see what might spring up, to see what lessons can be learned. I noticed this line too. When asked about whether the weeds should be gathered up, the reply is no. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Our job as stewards of the fields, as builders of community, is not to judge. If we prune away that which we consider bad, we risk cutting out pieces of ourselves. We risk not seeing the fuller picture of what God has in store for us. I return to the reflection of Vince Amlin and his making of dandelion wine. He says, about the process. The whole project seems a mess, a waste, a total loss. But I cling to the promise, even now, God is working. A miracle is underway. In the fullness of time, it will be good. Weeds turned into wine. Our job is to witness to try to see each person we encounter, even if they have yet to bloom, even if they are prickly. When we invite others to show up fully, we also invite ourselves to do the same. The weeds alongside the wheat are lessons. They remind us of Jacob's dream that we heard in Genesis. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. It helps now and again to be reminded. God is in this place, in the garden bed, in the rainstorm, in each of us this place we get to live in, a holy house. Jacob had to sleep on a rock in order to come to this realization. In the gospel, according to Matthew, a field of weeds alongside wheat was the teacher. I want to end with a story of Canadian thistles a common weed that many of you might be familiar with. 
They were one of my grandfather's favorites. He was an Iowa farmer for his entire life and loved to let the grass and thistles and dandelions grow tall before eventually mowing them down at the insistent bequest of my grandmother. On my grandparents' 40th wedding anniversary many years ago, Grandpa brought Grandma a giant bouquet of Canadian thistles, these huge purple blossoms from the field. Grandma was embarrassed, and she wanted to know what the neighbors would think about this noxious weed and my grandfather's common practice of letting them go to seed and blow across the field. She always wanted him to mow the yard more. But Grandpa thought they were the prettiest flower. And so that is what he brought for his wife of four decades. I was told this story growing up and Grandpa's bouquet of weeds. We were told how much Grandma disliked her yard full of thistles and dandelions. My grandpa died when I was in first grade, so I didn't ever really get to know him that well or his gathering of thistle bouquets. But what I do remember is this. On a shelf in my grandmother's house, the one she spent a lifetime living in with my grandpa is a perfect purple Canadian thistle forever preserved in glass. I like to imagine my grandma tenderly picking up this thistle encased in glass and remembering her late husband and his bouquets of weeds and unmowed lawn. The prettiest flower for his wife. An enduring reminder that the difference between a weed and a flower is judgment, but it is also love. Amen.